and those who went before. And those who followed were shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Luke 19, 36-44. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives. The whole multitudes of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if they were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and he saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave you one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Let's pray. Father, during this time, I thank You. I thank You, Lord, for who You are. I thank You that we get to praise You even in the trials and the tribulations. I thank You that we get to praise You in our life and that we get to give You the glory and the honor that You deserve. I thank You that You rode in on that donkey colt and that eventually You would die on the cross and raise again. Lord, I pray that You would speak loudly through my words and let it be a a testament to who You are. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, as I thought about this week, I, I didn't really want to talk about the coronavirus. But I believe that a pastor, we must address the issues that we are dealing with at the time. And I couldn't stop but think about verse 41. Jesus, He saw the city and He wept over it. This word, clio, is the root word for weep in Greek. And the word in verse 41 is in Klossen, which means that Jesus wailed. He, he cried out. His emotions, they overflowed because He knew what was going to happen to these people in Israel. You see, there was nothing here that was by accident. Every last step was etched in time long before Jesus rode in on a donkey colt. Long before He died on the cross or was raised again. Jesus, He knows the plan. He knows that He is going to die for this world. And on top of that, He knows that there are residents in Jerusalem that are going to die without knowing Jesus personally when Israel is destroyed some 40 years from this moment. And Jesus, His heart, it it breaks for them because of their decisions that are going to be made here pretty soon. 
these decisions that are going to affect them for the rest of eternity. And we as the people, we would ask why. We're doing it right now. My buddy Jackson, he was asking me, what is the purpose of this virus? We, we ask those same questions because we don't know the answer. But Jesus, Jesus, He understands the why. He knows their hearts and their hardness in them gives Him sorrow. The historian Josephus claims that 1.1 million people died when the Romans ransacked Jerusalem in A.D. 70. And most of those were Jews. 1.1 million people who possibly did not know Jesus lost forever. My question is, do we weep for those who die without knowing the Gospel? Right now, we are in a time of death. Not only physical, but, but businesses and organizations. This world is in a time of death. And as we go through this Passover, this week, it should become real as we walk on our way to the cross. And Jesus, during this time, this Palm Sunday, He's being treated like a king. They're calling Him the Son of David. And palm branches were the Jewish symbol, their national symbol. And the conquering king was riding into town to establish his throne. And just like that, Jesus is on a cross and he is crucified. Many thought that he was riding in to be this conquering hero. They thought he was going to bust out his samurai word sword and destroy the Romans and take the throne. But they did not understand God's greater plan. You see, we, we get to look back and see part of God's plan, but we don't see all of it. We can't fathom the magnitude of God's plan. We have no idea what a post-coronavirus world will look like. But not Jesus. Jesus understood exactly what was going to happen to Jerusalem in His heart. His heart is breaking. I mean, Jesus is weeping. And we look at this world and we remember not too long ago, the economy is roaring. Everything is going well. We're looking forward to spring. And then a small virus changes everything. And we ask why. And I don't know the reason why. I don't have that answer. But I do know that without death, how can we truly understand the significance of joy? See, the Bible, it's not just about happiness. But it's a balance between death and sorrow and grief and weeping in one hand and hope and, and joy and praising in the other. And right now, we're in a time of weeping, a time of death. And I look at us and we look at this word weeping and it's done in so many different ways. And weeping can be a sign of remorse and regret for our actions. And even in that, there's so many different ways to look at it. So many different motivations. You see, I remember, I remember when I was just about to be a senior in high school. I remember weeping because I was in trouble for destroying mailboxes and throwing baseballs through car windows. 
We had just lost one of the most improbable comebacks in the history of state baseball. We're ahead by 10 runs going into the last inning, and we give up 11 runs. I mean, it was almost overwhelming. We couldn't fathom what was going on. And, and as we ride home, we're, we're just in sorrow. And we get home, and all this remorse that we have comes out in these terrible ways. See, we decided to, decided to destroy these mailboxes, to, to throw these baseballs through these car windows. And, and we're weeping because we're worried about whether or not we're going to get caught. I remember crying, I remember reaping, not knowing what was going to happen. Not knowing if we were going to lose baseball or, or be put in jail. I was worried about what was going to happen to me. And at that time, my remorse was because, not because I regretted my actions, but because I regretted being caught. I've since changed my remorse, and, and I feel for those people that I vandalized, but that wasn't my thoughts at the time. You see, there's a story in Judges chapter 2. The angel of the Lord, he goes to the Israelite people and he tells them that, that God has not broken His covenant. No, God has not broken it. God has stayed strong. But they, the Israelites, they have turned away from Him. And God, He has no choice but to allow them to suffer the consequences of their actions. And what do the Israelites do? Judges 2, 4 and 5, And as soon as the angel of the Lord had spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people, they lifted up their voices and they wept. And they called the name of that place, Bochum. And they sacrificed there to the Lord. This word, Bochum, is the word for wept in the Hebrew they had sorrow for their ways and they sacrificed for the Lord, but it was only for a moment. You see, it may have been genuine, but it did not last. Over and over again in the book of Judges, they get themselves in trouble and they, they cry out to the Lord and like any good father, He saves them. I believe that now is a time to cry out to the Lord for repentance. I'm not saying because our disobedience caused this virus. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm asking that we cry out so that we can grow closer to our Lord. I believe that we should not only cry out for repentance, but we should cry out for our nation and the people that are dying without knowing Jesus. You see, it's not so much about crying out and praying that this virus will go away but crying out and praying for those that don't know Jesus in it. You see, sometimes we cry out for the wrong reasons, but not Jesus. We can learn so much from Jesus as Jesus weeps for the right reasons. He weeps for others. And if we rewind six days before that triumphal entry, Jesus is weeping over the death of Lazarus, his friend. And if we're going to understand this, we must go a few days earlier. And Jesus, he purposefully allows Lazarus to die. The sisters, Mary and Martha, sin for Jesus, but Jesus, he knows the plan that he must carry out. He knows that he must allow Lazarus to die. 
The story picks up in John 11, verse 4. But when Jesus heard it, He said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Why? Why is Jesus going to weep? And so many scholars and really smart theologians try to break it down to one reason. And I say, why? There's so many reasons to weep. First of all, Jesus, He loves Mary. He loves Martha. He loves Lazarus. And who does not weep for those that we love? Who does not have empathy for those who are losing loved ones, especially now? The Bible, it also tells us to cry with those who are crying. Romans 12, 5. And Jesus, right here, He's crying with those who are crying. But that's not the only reason. Maybe He's crying because He has to stay two extra days and His friend has to suffer through dying process. Maybe He's crying because after all of this, all that He has done, His disciples still do not get it. And I'm here to tell you, if you're struggling, if you have doubts, you would make a great disciple. I mean, listen to John 11, verses 11 through 15. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go, I go to awaken him. And then the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. And now Jesus has spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant that he was resting in sleep. And I can just imagine Jesus' face as he's looking at him going, Oh, you guys do not get it. You've got to be kidding me. And Jesus tells them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may now believe. But let us, let us go to him. And I don't know about you, but I'm not afraid of death. But I really do not want to go through the dying process. However, even in that dying process, God uses those moments. He uses those moments. And we can think about these moments where people die well. And the first person that comes to my mind is my, my sister's friend, Emery. She died well. Speaking and glorifying the name of Jesus. And her death was so powerful. Man. And then we look at Jesus and maybe he's dying because he knows that he has to subject Lazarus to this dying once again. I mean, if we look around, right? We don't see a 2,000 year old Lazarus, right? Walking around. I mean, maybe he would need a walker by now. We just don't see that. Lazarus had to die again. Have we ever thought about that? He had to suffer death twice. And even if we're not afraid of death, we should still find this empathy for those that are sick. Jesus did. Even when he had to subject Lazarus to death twice just so His disciples could see what was happening. 
I think sometimes we forget so often that there are miracles happening all around us. And the only permanent miracle is salvation. And I tell you, what, is a, what does a miracle actually look like? And I'm glad that all ten of us in this room asked the question. We look at Thomas, the, the one that gets this raw deal, even though many of us doubt. In his words, they say something really interesting. John eleven sixteen. So Thomas called the twin, said to the fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. I don't think Thomas really understood the magnitude of his words. But he is willing to go to death with Jesus. He knows that if they go to Jerusalem, there's a, a good chance that they are not coming back. And when we accept Jesus, we die with Him and we're reborn in Jesus. There is no going back. It is permanent. And so they head to Bethany. They, they go to see Lazarus. And he's been in a tomb for a long time. Enough time to, to really need a serious dose of Old Spice. And Mary and Martha, they're in this grieving process. And as believers, I, I think it's important for us to understand that we can still grieve, even though we have this hope in Jesus Christ. These, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they understood. They were believers. All three of them. John eleven twenty five through 27 Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in Me, though he die, yet he still live. And everyone who lives and believes in Me shall never die. And then he says, do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe. I believe that you are Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. I mean, that is the gospel right there. I cannot say it any better. And this leads me to the main reason that I think Jesus is weeping. He's weeping because he has to call Lazarus out of paradise. And Jesus, He goes to the tomb and Mary is right there. She's asking these whys. Saying her what ifs that so many of us are saying right now. And, and starting at verse 33. When Jesus, He saw her weeping. And the Jews who had come with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in His spirit and greatly troubled. And He said, where have you laid Him? And they said to Him, Lord, come and see and Jesus wept. So the Jews said, so how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Even Jesus was questioned. As Christians, it's impossible to get away from the questions and as Christians, we're not called to get away from the questions. We are called to be deeply moved and, and have an overwhelming passion for others. And as hard as it is to do right now. I mean, I'm struggling with it. I'm preaching to myself. I have to remind myself over and over again that I must remove my politics from my actions. And to lean on my love for others and my empathy for all of God's people. How is the church going to handle these days that we have in front of us?
the church is so closely being watched. The world is standing around ready to pounce at any mistake that we make, but also so desperately wanting to hold on to hope. I say, what are we to do? And we look at Jesus, and Jesus was active. Starting at verse 38 of John 11, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a a cave and a stone laid against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around me, that they, the people, may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. So we say, why did Jesus cry? Why did Jesus weep? Because we weep with those we love. We weep with others because they are weeping. It is the greatest way that we comfort others. We weep because so many do not understand the truth that there is in Jesus Christ. And we weep because there are so many that will never understand the kingdom found in Christ. You see, Jesus is not weeping for the same reason that these Israelites were weeping. He is not weeping because He wants to be saved. He is weeping because others others need to be saved. Jesus, He cares about others and He cares about their salvation. God, His glory is shown. And so many people, they put their faith in Jesus on that day. And when they do, they are no longer bound by death. We are no longer wrapped in these burial cloths. But we are called to remove the clothing, and to be alive in Jesus. We are called to be a light in a dark world. The people, they are paying attention to Jesus' actions. And I believe that the church right now has an opportunity. That the church right now has an opportunity to be a beacon of hope in this world. Our actions right now matter. We have a choice. What is our motivation Do you love Jesus only because what He has done for you? Or do we love Jesus because what He has done for all? And I promise you, we must not be like the Pharisees in this account. That watch somebody raise somebody from the dead, and yet do not surrender. And some of the people, they tell the Pharisees what happened, and the the Pharisees acknowledge all these signs that are happening And they know that He is no ordinary person. They acknowledge His power. And listen to these words, these powerful words. John 11, verse 48. And if we let Him go on like this, everyone will believe in Him. And the Romans will come and they will take away both our place and our nations. 
They were more afraid of the Romans than God's will. Man, this world is only temporary. And we are to put our hope in something greater, a kingdom far superior. We have a hope in a home that is not of this world, but of perfection. And then Caiaphas, the high priest, he says probably one of the most truthful words ever spoken. Verse 49 and 50. You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. Oh, how right he was. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So many miracles all around us. So many miracles of salvation. We see what Jesus does in people's lives. Especially when they sell out for Jesus, when they surrender to Him. They see friend like my friend Jackson, people like my friend Jackson. Man, this guy was lost, caught up in alcohol, lost in this world. His wife was ready to disown him. And now he is on fire for Christ. This guy, he hires men on probation. He hires boys that, that don't have fathers. He gives them jobs and he speaks the glory of Jesus and tells his testimony and how Jesus has changed his life. The miracle of how Jesus has changed his life. Man, Jesus is the miracle worker. And there are all signs all around us. And yet people deny it. Some are lost in the ways of the world and and others are lost in, in trying to do what is right to be saved by their works. But our Jesus, our Jesus cries out for all that are lost. Jesus, He can understand the future. He sees everything that is going on. He understands the awfulness that lies ahead and when we fail to trust Him. When we fail to trust Him. And I look at this world and I have no idea why all this is happening. I have no idea why this world is so crazy. I can't answer the question. I often wonder if it's this forced time of rest or jubilee, but I don't know. I'm not sure, but I know that the church, we have two choices. We can ignore it and we can be angry about it or we can let it shape us and we can let it draw us closer to an ever-loving God. And we can weep for those who are dying without Jesus. But in our weeping, we can take action. We can do something about it. It can drive us to care deeply for others. You see, we are so blessed as a church. And honestly, the, the possibilities are endless. My wife will probably get mad about me saying this. But the last Friday, she's been buying donuts and taking it to the people on the front lines, the, the emergency personnel. And at the same time, she's helping a local business and showing compassion for people. I say maybe the church, maybe the church needs to buy groceries for those that have lost their jobs. I think that we should be paying rent for, for a few people that have lost their jobs. We as a church, 
Man, we are so blessed. And I ask, can we imagine the church, the universal church, where we are pouring out support on this world? And I don't know God's plan in this. But while we are in this, we have hope. And that hope is in Jesus. And it should lead us to this deep, down, soul-searching Lead us all to an understanding, a repentance on a deeper level that drives us towards God on an even greater level. Man, should it lead us to a a greater remorse and a regret for our actions. Man, only if it does these things are the deaths of so many people not in vain. As we look at a funeral, a funeral is sad and it's, and it's terrible, but every funeral message should transition to a time of, of self-evaluation for the living. The living should evaluate their life and they should develop ways to be more loving in this world, to have more purpose that's found in Jesus and to reach out to those that are lost with the hope that we have If these times keep us from being comfortable and complacent and replaces it with discipline and purpose and and humility and action, man, what power is in that? And I'm not this power pastor that says, repent and, and everything will change and everything will be okay. You all know me. I'm the kind that calls you a wretched, black hearted sinner. But in the next breath, speaks about the hope that we have in Jesus. You see, we're a bunch of sinners with 75 pounds of burial dressing all around us. And with Jesus, Jesus, He frees us from all of that. We are no longer bound by it. And we can have hope in a world that is suffering. I'm the kind of pastor that says, repent, because that is what God has called us to do. And any time that we can be humble and and draw closer to God, that is a good time. I say, can we look at this world? And sometimes I think it's so difficult for us as Americans. We are so rich. We are so comfortable. But there's still this reality in the world and we're seeing it. You see, one hand is this loss and this grief and the other hand is this hope and this joy. And there will always be this balance, this side of heaven. Loss and grief lead to empathy. Hope and joy is what is waiting for us on the other side. This week, this Passion Week, we're seeing this this death. It's, It's leading up to death. But in this death is also the greatest hope that has ever been seen, the death and resurrection of Jesus. I ask that we take this last part of John. This week as a congregation, I want us to read it together as we walk down through this Passion Week. And ultimately we end up at the cross and then His resurrection. Today I ask, I ask our congregation that we read John 11 and 12. And tomorrow I want us to read John 13. Tuesday, John 14. Wednesday, John 15 and 16. And on Thursday, I want us to to read this prayer in John 17. And on Friday, John 18 and 19. 
And we're going to have this good Friday service at 7 p.m. And we'll do communion once again. And I want you to share it with all, everybody that you can think of. And then on Saturday, I want us as a church to actually take some time. If you've got to go down to your knees, please go down to your knees and pray for 20 minutes. Let the word of the Lord penetrate your heart. And then on Sunday, read John 20. And we'll see this, this life in the resurrection as we have Easter service at 10.30. And I want you to share it with all that need that hope, that hope in Jesus. And then on Monday, let's, let's look at Jesus' life after the resurrection. John 21. You see, the scripture is about death. But we have to understand that, that death that happened in order to understand this significance that I talk about and this hope and this joy. And can we really understand death? Can we really understand on the other side how blessed we are if we never go through these trials and these depressions and these diseases and these hardships? We can never understand the joy without the sorrow. These two, they go hand in hand. And this is Jesus preaching. This is not me. These are not my words. The disciples, they approach Jesus in John 12, 23 through 26. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servants will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. He's saying right here that you must lose your life. And Jesus will pick it up again. He'll pick up this life that died and resurrected in himself. Jesus, the Son of Man, he will be glorified, and he is glorified in every person who dies and is raised in him. This book, our lives are about glorifying God. And Jesus, he goes on in verse 27, he says, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Man, it's not easy. Jesus is struggling. So many of us are struggling, me included. I want so desperately to be saved from this hour. But we fail to recognize the purpose in it. You see, we're not to be saved from this virus. We're to find purpose in it. Are people coming to Jesus during this time? Are people spending more time with their families? Does this drive people to evaluate their lives and what really matters? I mean, what really matters? God matters. Verse 28 and 29. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd, they stood there and heard and it said that like a thundered. Another said, an angel has spoken to him. Right now, 
Right now, God is speaking. And if this is not thunder, I do not know what is. People are dying and it is devastating. Losing our freedom is devastating. The church not doing its job is devastating. I ask, what are we doing in this world? Why do we keep forgetting what is really important? Why do we keep forgetting that God is what is really important? John 12, 30. Jesus answered him, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the rulers of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. God. I mean, he is getting our attention. I mean, listen to what the Lord has to say. Lean on the Lord in these times of trials. God is drawing people to Himself. And this is what is important. I mean, how does God draw people to Himself? And it is through the Son of Man. Jesus, in this story, He's going to die. But in His death, He will bring light. The time to trust in Jesus is less every second. John 12, 34. So the crowds answered Him. We have heard from the law that Christ remains forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. This world that we live in is dark and it's chaotic. But Jesus is light and he is order. And I have no idea when Jesus is coming back. And I believe that we have some work to do. There are so many people that need to hear the gospel. And as we go through this Passion Week, please hold on to what is important. Jesus in our lives is what is important. Remember that our light in Jesus, our light in Jesus drives our dark, out darkness. This world is God's house. And we are to fight back thieves and robbers with the goodness of Jesus. And Jesus, He enters the city. He does not waste any time as He enters the city. And I ask, can we see this symbol in Jesus' actions? And as we move into this time of communion, I ask that you grab your elements. And as you do, as you grab these elements and join in a time of communion, let me ask you this very important question. How are we to be this light in the world when we are holding on to sin? This is a time, and when I, when I say time, I'm talking about communion. A time to allow Jesus to, to drive out the sin that does not belong in our lives. And immediately after Jesus enters the city, He goes to the temple, and in Matthew 21, 12-16 it says... 
And Jesus, He entered the temple and He drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to Him in the temple and He healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that He did... And the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the Son of David. They, the Pharisees, were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what they are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? Are we indignant? Or do we praise Jesus? What does our temple look like? I'd like us to use this time of communion to get right with the Lord. John 6, 35 says that Jesus is the bread of life. And whoever comes to Him shall not hunger. And whoever believes in Him shall not thirst. So as we take this bread, let us offer a prayer for it. Father, I thank You for Your sacrifice. I thank You for who You are, Lord. I thank You That you have indwelt us, that you have come inside of us, and that you allow us to know who you are. And I pray as we take this bread that we can remember that you are the bread of life and that you are everything in our life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord Jesus. When the night was in, when he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray for the cup. Oh, Jesus. Thank you for your blood surrendered on Calvary. Thank you because of your blood we can have hope and we can have joy even in the greatest trials and tribulations that we face. Lord, as we drink this cup, let us remember you. Let us remember what you did for us because you loved us. I thank you. In your name I pray. Amen. And in the same way, he also took the cup. And after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you Eat this bread and 
drink this cup. You proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. John 6, 36-40 speaks of this day. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent Him. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life and will be raised up. And will be raised up in Him on the last days. I believe in this world, this time. It's this time to share about the hope that we have in Jesus. And all that come to that hope will never be cast out. And we will have eternal life. And that should always be the mission of the church. That should always be the mission of the church until Christ returns. Let's pray. Father, let us not forget. Let us stay focused on the plan that you have. Let us stay focused on the plan that you have for the church. Let us have an overwhelming dose of empathy for others. Let us love others like you do. Let us care for others like you do. Let us share the gospel with others because that is the hope and that is the joy that we all seek in these moments That is what everyone is looking for, but we can only find it in You. Lord, as we leave this place, as we turn off our screens, as we go to this world, let us not forget that the church is the people and not this building. The church is in You, Lord, and You are the head, and let us never forget that You are the head. Lord, I pray this, and and I ask this in the loving and caring and hope-filled name of Jesus Christ. Amen.